0: you're finding your seat, the oldest group of freshwater kids is going to make their way out of the room. Before we get started, I'll also just let you know, uh, kind of encourage you to stick around for the beginning of the second service. We've got two baptisms we're going to open up that service with. So um, Jesse and Paige are going to get baptized. And as long as you uh, brought enough money, I will bring you back up out of the water so, y'all just stay and see how much cash they brought. I guess they'll just kind of leave that one as a, as a cliffhanger. Uh, you can take your copy of God's Word and turn it to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, as we today answer the question, why do we sing? Why do we sing? That's going to be page 984 in a pew Bible if you've got one of those close to you. If you're a guest with us, welcome. I'm Joshua. I'm the the lead pastor here at Freshwater. Um, Our mission as a church is to help the people of our community and world become totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. If you're new here, we're glad that you're here with us and I'd love to meet you before you leave for the day I stand at the door after the service. January is always a fun month for me here at Freshwater because January, of course, is that weird month where we are finally done with Christmas and now we get to spend the whole month trying to pay off all the credit card bills that we ran up trying to buy people's affection during the holidays. But in January at Freshwater, so far every year we've taken January and whatever book we were working through, we put that book on hold and we spent January just kind of refocusing the church toward the things that are important for us as a church. So it's just kind of a time for um, us to focus on church health, to answer some really practical questions, um, and to kind of, you know, just speak about practical issues that are pertinent to the day-to-day life of the church. And so far, these January series have been some of my favorite sermons that I've got to preach while here at Freshwater. This year, we're calling our January series, The Church Fundamentals. And every week, we're going to be talking about a habit that is a regular habit of the church when it gathers on Sunday morning. So we, of course, know that the church is not the building. The church, according to the Bible, is the people of God as they gather together and as they disperse throughout the week as they're worshiping the Lord. The church is the people of God. But even with that being said, when we gather on Sunday mornings, there are certain things that we always do. So, for example, we always take an offering, don't we? Why do we do that? Why do we allow you to worship the Lord through giving? We're going to take a week and we're going to talk about that. Also, someone always preaches. Why do we do that? Why do I or someone else stand up before you and you know spend the next half hour of your life teaching through the Word of God? We're going to talk about that. Also, why do we serve? Why do those of you that have committed to Freshwater, have joined as partners of the church? Why do you agree beforehand that you're going to serve in various capacities? We're going to spend a week, and we're going to talk about that. Also, why do we go? As in, why do we spend um, so much time on Sunday morning talking about how we are to be ones that are sent from this gathering into the world with the gospel? So we're going to take a week, and we're going to talk about that. But this week, we talk about singing We talk about singing. Why, of all the things that we could do when we gather together on the Lord's Day, why do we sing? Why not just an hour-long sermon? Why not a sermon and then a bunch of fellowship time when we can eat donuts together? Why do we sing as the people of God? Now, hold that thought for just a second. We're going to come back to that question, I promise. But if, if you don't know my story of how I became a Christian, I'm not going to share all of it right now, but it includes going to a, a little country church as a small child with my mother and my sisters, and I'm very thankful for that little country church, and they ministered to my family and how I got to hear the gospel in that church at a young age. And their time together at that church on Sunday mornings was very similar to our time together right now. They did a lot of the exact same things. But when it came to the singing of the songs, generally, men didn't sing. Now, the person that led the singing on stage, he was a dude, and he had a good voice, by the way. I think he did a great job. Um, But as far as congregational singing was concerned, like the church singing to God, that was basically something that women did. And I was so young, but I'd look around, and the guys, their lips might be moving, maybe. If I was to show my ear in their mouth, I may have heard something coming out. But by and large, they were moving their lips just to appease their wives. We know this is what's happening. They weren't really singing. And I don't really know why. You know, maybe it was just because singing wasn't considered manly or macho in that church. Maybe it was just that the church had a, a lot of value on the preaching of the Word of God and, and, and the culture of the church just kind of devalued music altogether. I'm not for sure. But as a young man, even as a child, I quickly realized that in church on Sunday morning... Men didn't sing. But then I'd get out of church. I'd go home on Sunday at noon with my mother and my sisters. My dad never went to church with us. So I'd get home. He was always there at home uh, with us. And on Sunday afternoon, this is what I would see as a child. You can go ahead and start that now. hate the Patriots. Amen. Amen. But to say the least, as a young child, I had conflicting observations in my life. Sunday mornings were filled with people singing, although barely loud enough to hear them and done mostly by women, while Sunday afternoons were filled with singing by men, hands in the air, doing the tomahawk chop while I watched the Chiefs game. Sunday mornings, we were supposedly singing to the God of creation, the creator of everything, the one that has purchased us from our sin, has paid our sin debt. While on Sunday afternoons, we were singing to a false god, weren't we? To a sport, to to celebrity football players. Sunday morning was supposed to be the event that Christians looked forward to, you know, so that they could be prepared for the temptations that they were going to find throughout the world, throughout the week, while Sunday afternoon had a much higher participation rate there was a noticeable joy and a noticeable excitement as these tens of thousands of people rejoiced over their team. And as a child, if I would have been forced to choose which one of those two events was more convincing, just on an observation basis, which one of those two events was more convincing, no doubt about it, I would have chosen the Chiefs game, where people looked like they were enjoying themselves, where people looked like they were singing for a reason, where men joyfully paid money, and a lot of money, mind you, to be part of a 60,000-person choir where fathers would train their sons in how to sing and how to chop the air and how to essentially worship, while on Sunday mornings it seemed like people were singing just out of obligation. You know, Maybe singing just because they didn't want to feel guilty for not singing. So for me, thinking about what the Bible teaches Christians about singing has brought with it a lot of conflicting observations in my life, to say the least. So what I want to do this morning is I want to make the case that those of you that sing to God on a regular basis, if all of the things are equal, it, it, for those of you that sing to God on a regular basis, here on Sunday morning or out in your car or in your house or whatever, are spiritually healthier than those that don't. That's the point that I want to make this morning. And it's not just that you're spiritually healthier because you're already spiritually healthier. It's because singing to God as an act of worship actually fosters spiritual health in your life. That's how it works. It actually comes full circle and actually helps to foster and create spiritual health. We could say it's like taking your vitamins. We could say it's like running on a treadmill for an hour. Not that I know anything about that. It's like making sure you eat healthy food. Spiritually speaking, singing to God improves your walk with Christ. It does. And you're going to see that in the Word of God today. And, and where we're going to see that is actually in the book of Colossians. Now, there are a lot of things that we could say about this book. Of all the books in the, in the Bible that lift Jesus up and put him on a pedestal and just show him as... As as a mighty Savior and creator, Colossians is one of the best books to do that. It's an epistle written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy um, about the same time that Paul writes Ephesians and Philemon, so it's most likely 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in chapters 3 and the first part of of chapter 4, Paul is essentially writing about the Christian life. And in his writing, we see four reasons that your life and my life would be spiritually healthier if regular worshipful singing toward God was part of your life. Now, maybe it already is for you, maybe, and and praise God for that. And if it is, then this may just act as confirmation for some of the things that you already know, some of the things that you've already experienced. Or maybe you've always kind of liked to sing, and you've done it just because you like to do it, but you've never really thought about what the Bible actually says about singing. But if singing to God isn't a part of your regular walk with Christ, my goal this morning is to convince you that singing to God in worship will help to produce spiritual health in your life. So we're only going to look at a couple verses this morning as we see these four reasons that our lives would be healthier if we sang to God. Now, I'm not going to go real in-depth on any of these. They all come directly out of these couple verses we're going to look at, and I think they speak for themselves. I'll go ahead and give you that first one, and then we'll read the first verse we're going to look at. Here's the first one. To sing is to obey God. To sing is to obey God. If you're doing the fill-in thing, that's your first blank in the outline. Now let's look at Colossians chapter 3 and look at verse 16. See what Paul and Timothy write. They say, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Stop right there. All we're considering for this first reason is simply that God has commanded you. He's commanded me, he's commanded us to sing. You see it right there in verse 16. Paul and Timothy writing to the church at Colossae. So writing to Christians under the divine inspiration of God, tell the church to do what? They tell them to be a singing church. Now we're going to talk about the context of that in a minute. But for now, just consider that if you're going to be an obedient Christian, you cannot be an obedient Christian without singing to God. And just so that you don't think this is the only time in the Bible when this comes up, Listen to all these other references. Listen to Psalm chapter 100, verse 2. It tells us to come into God's presence with singing. Psalm chapter 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. and He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Psalm 104 verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 5, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. When it's all said and done, the Bible, the scriptures have over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. So it's really, really obvious that if we are going to be obedient to God, we sing to God in worship of him for all that he's done. Now there's an issue that oftentimes pops up when we balance between worship and obedience. And here's kind of the issue that pops up. The question is, what about when we don't feel like singing? Like you have those times, right? What about when you're just temporarily kind of just depressed or you had a bad week or a bad morning, you know, before you came in or just kind of a melancholy mood or whatever and you just don't really feel like singing. You don't feel like worshiping God in that way. What do you do? Do we sing anyway? Should we just sing anyway even when we don't feel like it? And, and I, I think about it. The, kind of the same way that I think about it when I hear a parent talking about their child and they say something along the lines of, I'm not going to force my child to go to church because I want my child to want to go to church. And I get that, by the way. I mean, I totally understand that. But parents aren't really in the business of giving their children what they want, are they? I mean, I don't really see that as my purpose as a parent. I mean, what a, a horrible parent if you would be if you gave your child everything that they wanted. I mean, think about it. You'd you'd be horrible. My children want chocolate for every meal. They want to play on the iPad 15 hours a day. They want to skip school. My youngest still wants to eat her boogers. I mean, this is the way that kids work. They want to go to Disney World every weekend. Children want childish things. If you gave them everything they wanted, they'd die. Or they'd at least be very unhealthy. You'd be a horrible parent. I don't always want to brush my teeth. But why do I brush my teeth? Because I know that I'm going to suffer the wrath of bad teeth if I don't brush my teeth so I do it. I don't always want to pay bills. Why do I pay bills? Because I know that if I don't pay the bills the bank is going to come a calling, right? I don't always want to do a lot of things. The reason that I do them is because I understand there are consequences if I don't do them. And I hope I'm wise enough to be able to look ahead and say, "Hey, I don't want those consequences." Well, in a similar way, there are consequences to you not singing to God. Disobedience is never a good thing. It's not a good thing. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times when it's okay for you to not sing. Those times exist. I know there are some Sundays where I and you probably both like, we walk in, we're just tired, or we had a bad week, and we just don't feel like it. I mean, there are a lot of weeks where I don't sing all the songs that that Brooks works us through, but And I don't think it's necessarily sinful for me to sit that week out. I don't think that's a sin. But those situations should be the exception. They should not be the norm because God commands you to sing. He commands you to sing. So that first reason that our lives would be spiritually healthier if we sang to God, to sing is to obey God. Now the second reason, here it is, to sing is to minister to others. To sing is to minister to others. Because look at how verse 16 is structured. Let's read verse 16 again. We'll just read the same verse again. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing who? Who are you teaching and admonishing? One another. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This one another theme is all over this part of Colossians. It's back at the beginning of verse 13. You can look there now if you'd like when he talks about bearing with one another. It's in the second half of verse 13 when he talks about forgiving one another. It's in verse 14. He tells the Christians to, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the only way you could bear with people or forgive them. In verse 15, he talks about how we, the church, are one body. The body of Christ. So we're united as one people, right? And then, of course, there's verse 16, that verse that we already read. We tend, here's the problem. We tend to read the Bible as a book about me individually. We tend to read it as, oh, this is about my walk with Christ. This is about my holiness. It's, 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 it's about my faith. It's all about me, 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 me. Welcome to American consumeristic, you know, Christianity. That's basically what it is. But that's not how the Bible is generally written. Paul and Timothy are addressing whom? They're writing to a church. They're writing to a group of Christians. He's not saying that you shouldn't individually sing to God in your own time of worship. You should definitely do that, do those things. But here's what he definitely is doing. He's definitely placing a high emphasis on two things. Number one, corporate worship, corporate singing, when we, the people of God, come together and worship the Lord in song. But secondly, he's emphasizing how your singing ministers to other people, to the one and others that are listening. Now, how does your singing on Sunday morning minister to other people? Have you ever thought about that? Well, let me just kind of give you a a test case. We took our children to Disney World this last fall. And one of the things that we did while we were there was called the Disney Frozen Sing-Along. So Frozen is, if you don't know, the highest grossing animated film of all time. You know Disney's going to milk that cow until it is dry think I've got everything that they ever produced in our house. Well, the Disney Frozen sing-along is a show where everybody sings along to this play that is occurring, and the words are on the screen, and you know, 500 or 700 people, I don't know, several, maybe a 1,000 people in this huge room, and they're all singing together at, all at once these songs from the movie Frozen. And I think back to that event, and I think, how odd would it be for me to be sitting in there by myself... And be the only one sitting in the theater and to sing those songs. Like nobody else, just you. Just singing these kids songs. But because you're surrounded by hundreds of people doing the exact same thing, you feel encouraged, unfortunately. I hate to admit this. You feel encouraged to make a fool of yourself. You see otherwise macho men, you know, manly men, guys that are big and tough and strong and and, and they're singing love is an open door and they're singing let it go or whatever as people are testifying to each other how much they love the music in Frozen. Well, when we sing together on Sunday morning, you are testifying to the other people around you your allegiance to God. I am hearing you as you sing whether you realize it or not, I am hearing you tell God how much you love him, how thankful you are for everything that he's done in your life. You're giving him a testimony of how you worship him. I mean, consider that the Sunday gathering is a time of worship to kind of prepare us for the week to come, a week where you're going to be in a world that is bent against God, doesn't appreciate God, would just assume that Christianity didn't exist at all, and there would be comfort for you in knowing that by the sung testimony that you're hearing on Sunday, there are other people all throughout this city that feel the same way you do. But you're not only obeying, you're not only ministering to others. Now third, to sing is to be strengthened spiritually. Number three, to sing is to be strengthened spiritually. Now, this one comes completely from the context. We're not going to read verse 16. I know that we'd see this better if we were working our way through the book of Colossians. and I could show you how the book is built up to this point. But nonetheless, what Paul is doing at this point in the book is he's encouraging the Christians there to live free from sin. That means that when you sing, you are, as one author puts it that I read this week, he said, you are waging war. Now, what do I mean? Well, listen to the way that same author described it. Here's what he said. Here's a quote. He said, chances are you didn't connect singing and warfare together, but it's a theme visible in Scripture. In Colossians 3, Paul is challenging the Colossians to literally put sin to death in their lives, to kill sin. And so all the commands to love and peace and forgiveness and teaching and singing are, therefore, the Bible is teaching attitudes and habits of the believer that will kill sin. You know what this means? This means singing is not only an act of worship. It's not only a time when you cast your admiration toward God and you adore him for all that he is. Singing is preparing you for difficult times in your life. It's preparing you for temptation. It's preparing you for heartbreak. And I would even make the case that it is preparing you to, when the time comes, to die. I don't mean to rain on everybody's parade. I don't get up in the morning and think, boy, I can't wait to be Debbie Downer. That's not the way that I operate. Don't look forward to saying these things. But all of you are going to die. Everybody in here. Now, being a pastor, I've spent a lot of time in hospital rooms or living rooms with that big hospital bed in it or nursing homes where people are passing away. And just like many of you have had to watch your loved ones die, I've been there to to witness a lot of people pass away. Fortunately, most of those situations were Christians, praise God. But it's in those situations where you might be a family member watching your loved one pass, or you might be the person that is kind of in your final stages of consciousness when God will bring to mind a song. He'll bring to mind Scripture as well. Don't, Don't hear me wrong on that. But he will bring to your mind a song. He'll bring to your mind a hymn. And you didn't know it, but all those times that you sang Amazing Grace, God was preparing you for the day that you're going to see him face to face. When you sang, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. It's times like those when you're dying or when you are watching a loved one take their last breath, that those words help to give peace and understanding to some of the most difficult events that we have to navigate in our lives. So friends, remember that when you stand and when you sing, remember that God is using that song to make you more like his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to prepare you, to strengthen you, to get you to store up hope inside yourself for a difficult time that lies ahead. Now, number four, we're zipping right along through these. To sing is to obey God. That was the first one. To sing is to minister to others. That was the second one. To sing is to be strengthened spiritually. That was the third one. Now, that fourth reason our lives would be healthier if we sang to God, to sing is to glorify God. To sing is to glorify God. Because look with me now at verse 17. What does it say? Verse 17. It says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, Through him. We could summarize that verse as saying, whatever you do, glorify God. And that certainly in the context includes singing to God, doesn't it? We just saw that in verse 16 as an act of worship. Now to say that we need to glorify God, that's kind of a churchy thing to say, right? What does it mean when we talk about glorifying God? What is that even talking about? Well, to glorify something is to make a big deal of it, right? It's to admire it. It's to cast your admiration toward it. It's to act in such a way as to draw attention to something. It's to set your affections on something. And if you've ever wondered what your purpose in life is, if you've ever questioned, why in the world am I here? Like, why am I alive? Why, am I, why, why do I exist rather than not exist? That great philosophical question that transcends societies and transcends generations. The Christian worldview says that your purpose in life, listen up, is twofold. It is first to glorify God and second of all to enjoy his presence in your life forever because it is a good presence. That's what we believe. Glorifying God is not an afterthought. It's not that, oh, you've got all these rules you're supposed to follow. You know, Just make it through life and don't lie, cheat, steal, honor your parents, whatever else. And then, oh, by the way, if you've got any energy or resources left at the end, make sure you throw some glory on God. No, it's not it at all. Like the reason that we have breath in our lungs is to glorify God. That's it. And one of the ways that we do that is to sing. Now, even if you're not a Christian, You don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge this. I mean, this isn't hard to to, to fathom. Look at society. Gangster rap music sings about drugs and cars and women. Why? Because drugs and cars and women are important to gangster rappers. Country music sings about alcohol, pickup trucks, and women. Why? What do you think is important? Alcohol, pickup trucks, and women. I mean, basically all people across the globe understand that to sing about something is generally to draw attention to it, it's to glorify it. Now I know that most of you heard this, probably all of you heard this, possibly the biggest news story of all of 2016, so there's no way that this squeaked in under the radar for you, but last week the the inventor of the Red Solo Cup died. Did y'all hear this? Y'all heard this. I know that you heard this. Very traumatic event for so many people. I'm sure he's a great guy. Mostly because the Red Solo Cup has become almost like a symbol for country music and drinking. Like, we understand this. So, when I heard about this, the guy on the radio told the story, and then he proceeded to play, guess what? Red Solo Cup by Toby Keith. Now, if you've never heard that song, it's a love song sung to the Red Solo Cup. It's not sung about the Red Solo Cup. It's sung to the Red Solo Cup. If you haven't heard that song, do yourself a favor and pray that God never allows you to hear it, that God would just close your ears off, never allow you to hear that stuff. But um, for those of you like me who have heard it, it's funny, why? Because it's casting attention on a cup that has become synonymous with kegs and rule America. Well, although it's a little bit comical, a little bit ridiculous, it speaks to how everybody understands that we sing to what is important to us. We show allegiance. We show faithfulness. We show devotion. We show affection. We show fidelity toward something by singing to it. And I'm fairly certain that just about all societies function like that. So remember that we sing not because we simply enjoy each other's voices, not simply because we don't have anything else to do, not simply because we need to fill the time. We sing because in almost every culture, and maybe in every culture, people sing about and sing to that which is important to them. I think it's almost universal. And for Christians, certainly, certainly there's nothing more important to us than the God that has purchased our salvation. Now, unfortunately, it's time for us to to move on and begin to wrap this up and think about what we've seen. I'm not going to go and repeat all of those, but we've seen these four... Very simple reasons that your life would be spiritually healthier if regular worshipful singing was a part of it. All of these come either directly from verses 16 and 17 or contextually. I hope that you could agree with that. I'll have you know there's so much more that can be said about this subject. I've left a lot on the table um, and there was so much more that that I wanted to say but I just had, had to move on. But I was thinking, man, how wonderful would it be if I actually convinced some of you of this? Like, like, what if maybe 30 minutes ago, you hadn't really paid two cents worth of attention to why we sing, and maybe you were like many others who kind of put up with the singing so that we get to the preaching. I know that there's many people like that, but maybe now, maybe you're convinced, and maybe you're like, hey, I'm a Christian, I want to be obedient, I need to start singing. But maybe, maybe you're thinking, how do I do that, or what do I do? or what are maybe some ways that I can incorporate that into my life? How do I start? Well, for you, I'm just going to share three quick ways, three quick ways that you can start singing and then we'll be done for the morning. These are personal observations, just things that I've picked up along the years in ministry. Number 1, and this is also in your outline, stop observing and start participating. Stop observing and start participating. It's really that simple. Move your words and move your mouth and words come out. It's really the way that it works, right? Nothing more complicated than that. And I understand that some of you, you think that you're not a good singer. And you're afraid that people around you are going to hear your voice. I hear this thing. And guess what? You think you're not a good singer? You're probably not a good singer. I completely acknowledge that. I agree with you. But it doesn't matter. That's the beautiful thing. This isn't American Idol. Like, we're not going to sit you in a specific spot so that nobody has to listen to you. Um, That's not going to happen or anything like that. Besides, when you sing, ultimately, you're singing to God anyway. So when I sing on Sunday morning, um, uh, I don't care what you think about my voice because I'm not singing to you. You just happen to be in the room. Yeah, Jeff hears me. Jeff knows I'm horrible, but I don't care. So you can participate. You really can participate. Everybody's bad, okay? Just every If you're good, you're probably up here. Everybody out there, you're all bad. You're just bad singers. So you're going to... Fill in, you're going to filter in just fine. Nobody's going to even notice. And I'll also say this, I can't speak for Brooks. I can't put words in his mouth. But I would bet that if you were to ask him what he desires to see on Sunday morning, I bet it's not that he desires that you would be impressed with him, impressed with the musicians, um, uh, happy about whatever, insert whatever. I bet more than anything else, he would love to be able to just look out and see you singing to see you actually participating rather than just observing. Number two, incorporate singing into your prayer life. Incorporate singing into your prayer life. Oftentimes, when I open up in prayer by myself... I open up in song, just a hymn that I've memorized or a song that we sing here on Sunday mornings. And singing to God as a personal act of worship during your prayer time, I think can really help to open up your heart and your mind so you can focus on the prayer requests that you have before your king. And number three, number three, seek to fill your mind with songs that are worth singing. Not all songs are worth singing. And I'm talking about supposedly Christian songs. A lot of contemporary Christian music, and we listen to Caleb just about all the time, a lot of contemporary Christian music is just bluff. That's the way my wife puts it. That's the word that she uses it. Um, it doesn't really say anything that is worth saying. Sometimes I hear songs that are on the radio. I'm like, that's not even true. Like what that song is saying, it's not even true. It's not even accurate. It's not even biblical. So I would encourage you. There's so much that I could say about just d- developing in yourself um, the discernment to know when a song is good and when it's not. And I'm not talking about when it's got a catchy beat or when it's poppy or, or you know, when it's who, whoever's singing it. I'm talking about a song that actually has something to say about God that God would want to listen to it. So seek to fill your mind with songs that are worth singing. Now, I'll close with this, and then I'll be done. There are a couple things that I inherited from my father, and one of them is an intense love for 60 minutes. If you don't know what 60 minutes is, it's on Sunday nights. It's a 60-minute Um, news show that talks through sometimes world issues, domestic issues, social stories, whatever. If you are like me and you like 60 Minutes, awesome, love you. Last year, I remember sitting down while they were giving the little pre-segment bumper kind of introducing the next story that they were going to talk about. And the segment was going to be about a baby gorilla sanctuary in Africa. That's what it's going to be about. And it kind of piqued my interest. You know, baby gorillas are adorable. I mean, I can say that as a a dude. They're adorable. And gorillas are getting hunted out of, you know, they're almost extinct. They're on the endangered species list. So it kind of got my attention. I thought, okay, I'll, I'll watch this and I'll see what they have to say. The very first scene was a group of African women in their traditional African clothing they're sitting in a loose circle in a lush green environment, I don't remember the country, under the canopy of the trees, many of them holding these cute little baby gorillas, maybe even feeding them a bottle. But the group of these female caretakers in this gorilla sanctuary are singing. And of course they're not singing in English, so I have no idea what they're saying. They're, they're singing in whatever type of a, you know, African language that they know. So I don't understand the words, but I recognize the melody And I quickly realized they are singing How Great Thou Art. That's what they were singing. And I remember thinking, man, I can't believe that 60 minutes of all programs is showing these women praising God in Africa, um, singing How Great Thou Art. They're broadcasting this to millions of people. And then I remember that the producers probably didn't know what the song was because they're probably not Christians, so they probably wouldn't even know what they were saying. But then I thought... How wonderful it is to know that all across the world, even though we're separated by language, even though we're separated by culture, even though we're separated by all these different things, we're united in the song that we sing. People all across this globe have gathered today on the Lord's Day, some of them coming in late like you did because of New Year's, granted. But they've gathered together on the Lord's Day, and they've sang as an act of worship to God. Some of them have sang that song, How Great Thou Art. So I'm going to pray for us, and then after I pray... Um, we are going to stand together and we're going to sing that great song, How Great Thou Art.